light to our path. Psalm 119, verse 105. There's another verse I want to share with you today in reference to this. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. I want to read it to you in three different translations. First, in the King James Version. Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, the English Standard Version. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And lastly, from the World English Bible. Give diligence to project yourself approved by God, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, properly handling the word of truth. Today's topic is the challenging task, in fact, the challenging duty of contextual Bible study. Now, what do I mean by contextual Bible study? Well, I mean that you must look at each word that you're using in the sentence in which it is found, looking at the words around it, that's the immediate context, and the sentences connecting to it, constituting a paragraph. Those are the immediate context for you to interpret that word or to interpret that sentence or that verse, as we say. But those verses and phrases are connected in a broader context. So we look at words and sentences, we look at sentences and paragraphs, and we look at the paragraphs in the broader context of what happens before and what happens after, what precedes and what follows this statement, this particular teaching or this particular narrative incident. We must also pay attention to the type of literature that is being used and the grammar that's being employed. So all of this means the immediate context and then a little broader to the immediate be the context in the book in which it is found. But we must not stop there. We must also see if this teaching of these verses may be found in other places. For instance, when we look at the teachings of Jesus, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are parallel accounts of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Three of those are closely related, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Then John is a little separate, though it is also a narrative, a narrative with teaching, but it comes later and is not in exactly the same style. But you have four narratives of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that focus and center upon Jesus Christ. Suffering, death, burial, and resurrection, which is the heart of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. But even though we look at the parallel passages here, we must also go even beyond that to see there's connection in these passages to other passages of God's word that may be found in other letters or in the First Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the law the prophets and writings. I bring all of this to your attention because it's very common for Christians to take words and phrases out of context and simply to use them as if they are being written directly to them. 
Another thing that happens is that people take particular words or phrases or verses, and they may build a whole system of teaching on it. That's especially true if you find a verse that's sort of hard to understand and obscure, and you'll have sects and cults that will take these particular verses and read themselves and their teachings into them. We must be very aware of this and very alert. Simply because a preacher or a teacher may mention or even quote a passage of Scripture in their teaching does not necessarily mean that that Scripture verse is endorsing or even saying the same thing they are saying. You have to look at it in its context to determine whether that's the case or not. Now I want to try to give you a little example of what I mean by the duty or the task of contextual Bible study. And so I want to take a very common verse that's used by a whole line of teaching that you find very commonly on the internet and on YouTube and other sources, and it's used to teach a whole structure, a whole theology that has led so many people down a very wrong path. But let me read the verse to you. It's found in Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. Here's the words. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now often we are told that this verse is the key to getting whatever we want whatever we desire from God by employing certain steps in prayer. And these are to be foolproof steps of how we activate and actualize faith. Let me read this verse again to you. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now, this verse is not teaching us particular steps or stages by which we make sure that our prayers are answered. It's teaching us a principle, a very important principle, And we must see if this verse not only is used in Mark, but is it also used in Matthew? And is it used in Luke and in John? When we do so, we find that there are parallels, usages of this passage found in Matthew as well as in Luke. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this saying, though there's some slight variation in them. Now, our duty is to take these verses and examine them in their context to see exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ is actually referring to or teaching us. You see, here's my main point. I want you to understand the main point. We must interpret the scriptures by considering their immediate context, but we must also compare parallel incidences in the gospel and see their mutual context 
Because you see, Jesus may be teaching different truths in what may seem to be parallel passages. So I must look at the broader context, what proceeds and what follows this statement in the passages. So our task is what is Jesus teaching in these different contexts? His words in each context are crucial and they must be examined and then we can determine what he is actually teaching us. Now we must not use text to try to get from God what we want. The Bible is not a book of some kind of magic in which we take verses and we actualize them by the things that we do. God's power is not kind of substance, not some kind of substance in the universe that we tap into by the correct words or the correct formula or the correct steps. That is not the way of salvation. That is not the way of getting prayers answered. That's not the way of relating to God. When we look at passages of Scripture, we must zero in on the audience to whom the words are first addressed. What did they understand he was saying? This requires context. The context of action, the context of teaching surrounding them. Plus, we must look carefully at the grammar being employed. Narrative, poetry, discourse, that's teaching, symbolic, or apocalyptic. Because each one of those types carries different principles of how we interpret God's Word. Now, let's look at the mass passage in Mark again. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart. Now, is Jesus talking about a literal mountain? (laughs) That's my first question. Is Jesus talking about a literal mountain? Secondly, are there any examples in the gospel narratives of Jesus ever telling a mountain to move from one location to another? Or is there an example given in the New Testament of a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, either in the gospel narratives or in Acts of the Apostles, telling a mountain to get up and literally move from this location to another. Let's say, I want you to move from Saudi Arabia over to Israel. Is there an example of that? Or even, I would like for you, mountain, to move 14 feet in the other direction. Is that found in the scripture? Did Jesus do that? Or did his disciples do that? And you know, the answer is no. But check it out. See if what I'm saying is true. So this means that he's using a figure of speech. And in the figure of speech, he is using exaggeration. We call this hyperbole. He's saying this mountain, example, this mountain is a symbol. It's sound symbols and it means something in connection to what we're talking about. So when we look at these verses of scripture in the parallel passages, we were discover that they are given under different context. With different in another. In subsequent podcasts we will consider each of the statements of Jesus using the phrase faith is a grain of seed and say to this mountain. They are located in Matthew 17, 19 and following, compared with Mark 9, 28 through 29, 
Then we will also consider Luke 17, 5 and following, Matthew 21, 18 through 22, and Mark 11, 11 through 25. And we will observe different circumstances and subject matter with application using these phraseologies. Until next time, remember to handle God's word properly by paying close attention to context. This is Wayne Conrad with Bible Insight.